Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen and welcome back to the 14th fire american soccer show as we discuss the 3-1 loss against the netherlands as the united states will now be heading home and preparing themselves to host the 2006 fifa world cup as unfortunately their time here in qatar has come to an end Along with Carter Krishnayer and Christian Miles, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. And Carter, um, you know, look, we all know the quality the Dutch have, obviously. We all know the quality of players that they have here, not just playing for some of the best clubs in the world, but obviously uh, their, um, their youth players coming through their system. But obviously you have to say that it's been it's been difficult to see them you know lose the way they did today yeah i think um you know, there were a couple of very key factors in this match first off i felt like in the first half despite incredible ball retention superior possession uh, the us was very reliant on creating chances from wide areas and not doing the sort of thing um, in terms of, of penetration in the center of the pitch that, that you would expect or you would want with as much possession as we had. I think that a lot of that comes down to not having Josh Sargent, honestly. Uh, no no not against Jesus Ferreira. Uh, he's just not the same level in terms of his movement off the ball, in terms of his interplay, in terms of his ability uh, to kind of tuck into midfield and, 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 uh, and his hold-up play. So I think that that was a factor. And then obviously – You've got a situation where there are individual assignments when um, you're out of possession. There's individual things you have to do, and you can't switch off. And I I don't want to – it was a great team effort. It's been a great team World Cup for the United States. I don't want to focus on those individual mistakes today. But all three Dutch goals, in addition to the couple of big saves Matt Turner had to make uh, to prevent uh, more than three goals, uh, came off of individual errors from U.S. players. So maybe that's something we'll – dive into uh, later in the show. Uh, I don't want to focus on that, but that is uh, obviously going to be a talking point as well. Uh, Christian Miles, of course, joins us here on the show. And Christian, if I can get your uh, thoughts here. Uh, what did you think about this performance from this U.S. team that um, I thought they had their chances, honestly. I mean, the early chance that Pulisic had that kept them on side, I thought maybe should have done a little better with it. But other than that, it was a great opportunity. I thought Wea had a great opportunity uh, to make it uh, a goal there as well, to try and come back from the one-goal deficit before, of course, first half stoppage time came into play. What was your overall assessment, uh, Christian? And we don't have Christian Miles at the moment. So, Cardick, I guess you can uh, you can answer that question for me. I mean, uh, with the uh, indiv- with those uh, moments, of course, in the match, what, what, what's your opinion about uh, uh, those thoughts I have about uh, the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, you have to uh, take that chance if you're Christian Pulisic. Von Hall has not settled on his number one keeper yet. Uh, which may have inhibited the Dutch going forward. Now I think he's, he's got his guy, right? Uh, good save there. Um, and in the case of Timmy Weah, okay, that was a great opportunity. I also think Weah's movement in the first half was phenomenal. And as good as Sergio Des, uh was playing, uh, getting forward, uh, taking on his, his man, and really beating Daly Glynn one-on-one several times, I think the decision-making from Des if it were a little better, Weah would have had a goal. Because there were a number of runs Weah made where uh, the ball came to him, either didn't come to him or it was a, a split second too late. And um, Des knows this. He plays at a high level, played for Barcelona, played for Ajax, playing for uh, Milan now. You ha- that split second makes all the difference. So 
we had our chances, no question about it. I think the game is completely different if Pulisic buries that chance. Uh, but after that, I, I think a lot of this came down to um, split-second decisions, individual mistakes. And, um, look, I, um, I had been defending Greg Berhalter on the Gio Reyna thing, including on this show the other day. Um, Daniel, but the 45-minute shift Gio Reyna put in in the second half, I know it's been a couple days since the Iran match, um, makes me think he was actually fit, very fit in this tournament. And so that's going to be another talking point because when Reyna came on, you saw the U.S. was able to, 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 to uh, create more uh, situations in the center of the pitch, uh, overloads, uh, good one-two moves, right, interplay that we didn't have in the first half, the stuff I complained about because we didn't have Sargent in the first half. Even though we had a lot of possession and we had a couple chances, I felt like the Dutch had us. I mean, we're up 2-0, obviously. They had us where they wanted us. So this does beg the question about Gio Reyna. Um, if he could have gone from the beginning today, and if he had uh, gone from the beginning today, maybe the match would have looked entirely different. And that's something we have to um, – we have to grapple with, you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't given the, the start. I defended it because I felt like, okay, he Berhalter knows what we don't know. He's not fit. Um, but based on those 45 minutes in the second half where the match looked very different and look, look, especially different after um, uh, Brendan Aronson came on, right? Because I think the Dutch, it felt like the Dutch may have been likely to get a third goal, right? And club three nil. Aronson comes on, you've got another runner, you've got, you've got a little more in terms of movement, taking Dutch defenders out of position, uh, drawing them uh, into, air, into areas where uh, we could make deep runs from deeper positions into more dangerous areas. And um, uh, that all may have been able to we may have been open up, be able to open up the Dutch defense that way in the first half if Reyna had been on the pitch. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the big question mark, isn't it? And yes, we will dive into this a little bit more later on in the show, but I agree with you. I thought uh, I thought Giovanni Reyna should have been in there from the start. Um, I was surprised that Jesus Ferreira was put in there, and it's just been um, it's just been difficult to uh, to uh, see Jesus be put into a position where, not saying I didn't think he would be the one to not do it but still though the truth of the matter is is that you know was he capable enough to make that type of play to make that type of uh, decision making or at least to uh, be uh, helpful at the front end of it Christian Miles now Christian Miles now joins us here on the post game show and Christian um from the from the point at the start of this match where do you see, or where did you see the U.S. going right, and where did you see the U.S. going wrong? Well, first, Daniel, thanks for having me back on. Um, in regards to the start today, uh, in, it was obvious what Burhalter's tactical plan was to press the Dutch early, and it, you know, it's kind of a, a two-edged sword here. You can call him a genius if Pulisic puts that chance away makes it 1-0, and it changes the entire complexion of the game. But he doesn't. The U.S. leaves a lot of space in midfield, ripped to absolute shreds on the counter. The Dutch passing through our midfield throughout the first half. So I think it was an over-aggressive philosophy almost, if you look at it in retrospect. And unfortunately, the U.S., I thought the game was a little too open for them. And um, quite frankly, the midfield overrun in large, large stretches. But, you know, the, the, the substitutes were made in the second half. The U.S. made a go of it. Um, I thought overall, if you look at this World Cup, the U.S., you know, didn't exceed expectations, but they didn't let us down in expectations. I thought they did exactly what, at least what I expected. A lot of people expected around a six, uh, the knockout round, and then out we go. So all in all, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's over. Um, lessons to be learned. But, yeah, I, I have to say I didn't really agree with the gung-ho approach from the get-go. Mm. If I can just say this, Kardec, and, I, I mean, once again, youth is served in this World Cup. And, you know, I, you know, I, I mean, they were out there. They were plucky. I, I thought they had their moments. But, once again, when, you know, a big, big moment came to defend or at least to – uh, prevent the Netherlands from getting a goal. 
do you think maybe their naivete uh, kind of let them down in their ball watch and all the ball watching that they actually did that allowed those three goals to get scored on? Do you think that really put them in a very badly disadvantage because of their youth and not enough experience? Yeah, I mean, it was individual errors, as, as I mentioned at the outset of the show, but there were there were actually more than the three. There were several more where uh, the Dutch either didn't didn't uh, make that final, that crisp final pass, or uh, Turner had uh, had a, uh, a good save. So basically you had bad decision-making in the final third uh, with our defenders switching off in critical moments when the Dutch were either countering or when they had their, their, their bouts of possession. And then going forward, we had some um, bad decision-making, although I think that was set up by the tactics, as, as Christian alluded to, and, and as I mentioned earlier, the reality that without Josh Sargent, without that hold-up play, without uh, the sort of uh, movement he gives you off the ball, uh, your, your, your attack is going to look different in, in, uh, in the middle of the pitch, and then that ultimately leads to your midfield kind of being overrun. Uh, quite honestly, at its critical moments. But I think there was naivete. I think there is there is a lack of experience um, in this side. And all along, I've said uh, that this is a young side. And so you have to assume inconsistencies with a young side. And because you have to assume inconsistencies with a young side, you are going to have moments like some of those moments we had today, which is why, despite how hard on Verhalter some of us have been and, and, and people continue to be, I do still think you have to factor in the Asian experience with this side because I've seen really touted generations of, of young players from other nations not do this well in World Cups, not do this well in qualifying. Uh, granted, we're in CONCACAF, I, I get that, because um, they're just not there yet. In fact, the Dutch have had a generation where they missed uh, the, the 2002 World Cup as they were transitioning and the 2004 Euros they thought was a little too soon for their for that generation, and we saw uh, six, eight, ten. They were really good in those tournaments at the Euros and in the in the World Cup. Um, so that, you have to you have to accept that. But the reality is, yes, there was uh, certainly individual errors, which can be attributed to, to, to being young, or also to just switching off for a moment in a critical time in a match. Christian, do you think? And you know, obviously, people are going to pick apart the certain players on this team that either play in Europe, abroad, or they play in MLS. Many are picking already Walker Zimmerman uh, to be at fault for, you know, at least the those first two goals that were scored. I mean, I would like to think that it's not just – I don't think it was just Zimmerman uh, who had an issue. I don't think he had that much of an issue. I just think maybe he just didn't receive enough help from the midfield that failed to mark – Depay, who converted a brilliant goal, and then towards the first half stoppage time or inside of it, Danny uh, uh, Blind was able to convert that chance, and as Dest was basically caught ball watching and never caught the Blind at all until it was too late. I mean, is it all on the center backs? Is it all on Zimmerman, or is it just a case of everybody? Um, I'm going to have to go with the latter in your assessment. I strongly reject that this is – um, Walker Zimmerman at fault. In fact, I found no individual error of his on, on any of these goals. I thought if you want to fault an individual, um, why is Tyler Adams not marking uh, Depay, who beats him into the box? If you want to point fingers, where is Serginho Desk marking? He's caught on his heels. You need to have your you know toes up, son. And, and Zimmerman is left to mark Depay. So I don't understand the blame for, for anything individually for Walker Zimmerman, I think there's enough blame to go around, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with with Kartik in terms of the naivete. But you know, you look at these mistakes, and if you want to, you know, do a post mortem dissection of them, you know, they're basic errors. And two to mark one, and you know, this is on that that third goal. You know, two to mark one, and wide open, you know, at that far post where a Jedi gets confused with uh, Tim Ream. Mark one, and, and it's an easy tap in, and, and these are players that are, you know are are experienced players, especially Reem. It you know plays some of the highest levels, so you know it's hard to say that you know youthful naivete comes into a factor into that third goal. But yes, I I just think that the, you know it was a it was a bridge too far for the U.S. And, and you, I just have to say, you know, taking in the 90 minutes on the balance, the, the U.S. is 
defense, which was so fortified throughout the group stage, really faced its its toughest test outside of the England game. And the Dutch were up for it. They took their chances. We didn't take ours. And, you know, that's kind of been an, an ongoing theme. As much has been made of the number nine position. Um, I understand the selection of Ferreira. I think that with the pressing philosophy from the get-go, I thought Ferreira was the only one left to fit that mold. And as Karthik mentioned, Greg probably wanted to go with Sargent but couldn't because of fitness reasons. And so the opting of Ferreira over Hajirai is something I completely agree with, but it just didn't work out in the end. Uh, couldn't get the hold-up play, as, as Karthik mentioned, which I also agree with here, which is a big missing element. The U.S. very sloppy in possession. I thought Weston McKinney was a ghost of himself in the first half. Tyler Adams didn't cover himself in glory. Eunice Musa was entirely absent. Um, so, I, you know, I thought that midfield was overrun. And I, I don't want to sound hypercritical, but just uh, on the balance in that first half, it did get better in the second, but, you know, the decisions were made. The tactics are already made for Craig Burhalter after you concede that second goal so close to halftime. You have to go for it. And there'll be a lot of questions asked. Why wasn't Gio Reyna, you know, included in this team more often? Why didn't he see more time on the pitch? Because, you know, things turned for the better, even though the fact that the Dutch were content to sit off a little bit and absorb some of this U.S. pressure, knowing the U.S.'s difficulties in front of goal. So, you know, all in all, it kind of goes back to the point we were, we were talking about. I think the U.S. kind of, you know, hit their average. They hit their mean, so to speak, on the balance in these four games. And, you know, nothing to bow your head about, but nothing, you know, to be extraordinarily proud about either. You know, Carter, yeah, Daniel, I, I, real quickly, I want to go to the goalkeeper position. I thought, Walker, go ahead. Oh, I, if there are people criticizing Walker Zimmerman, I don't know what match they were watching. Because, yeah. actually, I would rate him as one of the better U.S. players today. So, that to me is shocking, that there are people criticizing him. 100%. Yep, 100% no, there are. Nope. They, Yep, I agree with both of you, and that's what I saw as well. I, I don't blame him at all, Walker Zimmerman, for how this match uh, ended. I don't, I don't blame him for this uh, result against the U.S. I really thought it was the cast of characters that basically, like I said, caught ball-watching. If you're going to be caught ball-watching so much in this match you know, by your fellow teammates, this, it's not all on the center backs. Obviously, Reem had a great World Cup. Okay, you want to fault Zimmerman for giving up the penalty to Gareth Bale uh, against Wales? Yeah, that's fine, because that is his fault. I'll admit that if Walker Zimmerman does not create the contact on Bale and concedes the penalty, then, you know, he would have had a fantastic World Cup. But that's the only match where I can see fault with Zimmerman. I thought he was great nine times out of ten, but in this one... There, I mean, all the fault is not on the feet of Walker Zimmerman, but I also want to go to this, Kardec, and I'm praising Matt Turner for having a hell of a World Cup for the first time ever in his career, being on the greatest stage in world football, because, I mean, you can't blame him for the goals, because once again, he was not helped out by his teammates to keep the ball out of the net. He tried his best when he got scored on. But the saves he made that I felt that he made in the second half, especially when it was still 2-0 or 2-1, that Matt Turner is able to make the saves where, I'm sorry to say it to all the Zach Steffen supporters, Zach Steffen would not make any of those saves. Yeah, he would maybe maybe make the first save right off the bat, but on that rebound where Turner, in my opinion, had his Tim, his Tim Howard moment, that's where I thought, that's why Matt Turner is in goal for the U.S. and Zach's definition, because he wouldn't have made that second save. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think also uh, he's much better at reading process uh, than, than uh, Stefan. Stefan uh, is... I, I, mean, I, I suppose better with his feet, although as I've said on this show many times, I've seen him make mistakes in FA Manchester City and uh, the one start he had in the Premier League against uh, Chelsea a few seasons ago when Ederson had COVID uh, that, that uh, didn't fill me with confidence. I think uh, both Turner and Zimmerman today, uh, just again to talk about Walker Zimmerman, there were some moments in the area where having been let down by the right back, uh, yes, or by one of the midfielders who didn't track runners, Adams or McKinney, 
um, Zimmerman uh, snuffed out uh, a one-on-one move. You know, proved to be a really good one-on-one defender, and then in, in some of those cases also, you know, showed, showed the uh, attacker from the Netherlands onto, the, uh, onto a weaker foot or into a less advantageous position, and Turner was able to make a save. So I think those two, as a partnership, um, throughout the tournament, of course, with the exception of the Iran game where Carter Vickers started, were uh, were quite uh, formidable. And I and I think uh, Turner has shown that you can fight your way through Major League Soccer. You can improve in that league. Uh, you can get reps, work your way into the national team, even if you haven't been in the U.S. Youth National Team program or been at, at, at uh, some elite level where you were talked about at 20 or 21 as, as the next big thing and fight your way into this national team and play very well at the World Cup, which is what this U.S. men's national team program has long been built on. Guys like Matt Turner. The guys like Matt Turner are more uh, constant in our program and in our previous success than uh, the, the types like the McKinney's and the Pulisic's who have been built up from the H.A. were 16. Not taking anything away from those guys. Uh, but you always need a gritty guy like Turner who's going to fight through uh, – adversity and then when he gets his moment is going to take it and going to show I think a little more grit than maybe some of our other guys yeah absolutely I agree with you there Kardec and you know Christian uh, you know just to go along with what uh, Kardec has said you know the way that this this system has been for the U.S. and, and what they've done to find the talent all over our nation at the same time uh, what the MLS clubs have done with their academies to find the local talent as well to bring in that, you know, basically, you know, come out of the woodwork or for those that, you know, get drafted into MLS that you don't expect them to be anything. And then they just come out of nowhere and, and they come up big. I mean, how many times have we been been told, you know, maybe Edson Buttle should be on this national team and he hasn't done anything for them or you know great players like Jason Christ back in the day but he couldn't do anything on the national team and you know you could also say the same thing about Jossi Zardes as well like he was supposed to do some great things but he could never go past into the bigger tournaments like say the Gold Cup or even in World Cup qualifying he, he hasn't done it I mean what does it say about you know, finding those diamonds in the rough that could come out of nowhere for whatever position you put them in, and they excel. Well, it's, it's a combination. It's a global approach. Yeah, you can, you know, the, the MLS system producing the likes, you know, Weston McKinney and, you know, the, the Dutch system producing the likes of Sergio Dest. And, you know, you can go into the Arsenal Academy with Yunus Musa. So it's, you know, in the U.S.'s perspective, that development really is kind of a global shift. MLS, I believe, has improved leaps and bounds in terms of its academy programs and its development of young talent. And you could, you know, point to to your team, New York Red Bulls. You can point to FC Dallas, which has been, you know, so prodigious in in selling off so many players um, to European leagues. But, um, you know, there there is just kind of a lack of – there's a next step to take, and I do believe that those are the refined positions that require that extra bit of technique and skill that – I thought that we kind of were, you know, glaring today in the final third. Um, it was a reflection of that, and I think that's kind of the, the next hurdle in terms of development that we need to overcome in, in time. Hopefully it will come, and, uh, you know, things will be better in the future. Cardiff, what does this say about Louis Van Hall and, and, and you know, the way that <laughs> he managed this match. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. I mean, you know, it's night and day basically when it comes to a manager like Louis Van Hall, who has done so much in club football and, you know, bringing that mentality to the national team of the Netherlands. I mean, I thought, honestly, I thought the tactics were spot on. He found a way to absorb pressure. As Christian said earlier in the show, um, he found ways to basically just sit back uh, keep the middle of the park compact, not allowing our guys to attack uh, their net with success, even though there was maybe a few hiccups here and there. But at the same time, you know, uh, that 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 uh, that uh, Dutch redwood tree in goal in Norfolk, I mean, my God, you know, six foot eight in the goal. I mean, how are you going to find a way to beat, beat him in there? But, um, you know, I, I thought he got his tactics correct in this one. And you know, caught the U.S. on the counter. 
Yeah, and um, I've been talking about this uh, since before the tournament. Actually, I've been talking about this during the Nations League when you saw uh, Belgium and the Netherlands in the same group and you had a unsuccessful club manager, in my opinion, a limited club manager in Roberto Martinez going up against uh, an absolute legend in Louis van Gaal. And you saw, even in those Belgium-Netherlands matchups, uh, the, the superior tactical tinkering of van Gaal with, I think, an inferior set of players to, to Belgium. So... Um, this is a this is a talking point because international management attracts guys who often are cast-offs from uh, from clubs or, or, or just kind of vagabonds who, who manage various national teams. And uh, the Dutch have had their problems recently under um, uh, under the likes of Danny Blind, who's now an assistant uh, uh, Devon Hall, but uh, under him and under Ronald De Boer, Frank De Boer, who we know really well, obviously from Major League Soccer at Atlanta United, uh, as well as. Uh, kind of uneven results under Ronald Koeman. So um, I, I think it just gives them a built-in advantage. And, yeah, he got his tactics right today. We saw the Dutch do a lot of this in 2014 against CONCACAF opposition when they played Costa Rica and they played uh, Mexico in the knockout stages where um, with that, that three, three-man back line, they were able to kind of um, congest the middle of the pitch, force the opposition uh, wide and whipping in crosses. And, and as I said at the outset of the show, I think the U.S., despite the superior possession, despite um, the, the half chances, the U.S. was not able, and this is also affected by Sargent being out, so I don't want to give Valhalla all the credit, but um, the U.S. was unable to penetrate in the middle. You had a three-man midfield that was uh, and maybe slightly better. And I, I owe that a lot to Valhalla's tactics. Uh, the three-man back line really uh, congested space for the U.S. today. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, Christian, you know, you, you, you've seen enough of international football yourself. You know, you've seen what goes on in the club level currently, you know, with the Premier League and Bundesliga and Serie A. I mean, you know, I, I remember Von Hall managing Manchester United. And, I mean, you know, he, he's so methodical with his tactics. He, he, he's so demanding of his players to play the way he wants to play it. At nine times out of ten, he's been successful outside of maybe, you know, an internal mutiny every once in a while. But, you know, let's be honest. Fake up with Man United um, when they had to do it. And it, it's just one of those things where um, – you know, yeah. I mean, I don't. You look. You have to say Burhalter, with some of the of his weaknesses as a manager. I mean, Von Hall just basically was the better tactician out of this one. Hundred percent, Daniel. And you know, we were talking about the youth of this team and the naivete. I thought our naivete was really exposed in the, in the way we set up from the get go today. Um, it nearly worked off, worked out well, as we mentioned. But, you know, tip of the hat to leave on Hall, a guy who was, you know, continued that Dutch-Arab progressive total football when he was at Ajax, earlier in his career at Ajax in, in Barcelona, but then became a little bit of a, of a cynical tactician, almost an anti-football um, type of reputation he developed in his later stages. Um, but he's reinvented himself with this Dutch team. And, you know, due to his illness, I think it's just like he has come out and he doesn't care what anybody thinks right now. He's going to say what he thinks. He's got nothing to lose. He takes over a program that has such a rich pedigree, but it really struggled, as Karthik mentioned, under Danny Blint, under the likes of Frank DeBoer, underachieving, not making it 2018, missing out on tournaments. And I thought it was expertly handled from a tactical um, perspective today by the Dutch manager who got the better of, of Greg Berhalter. Um, exposed the USA's deficiencies and marking overflowed, and it really overran our midfield, which you look at it and it sets up into three, but really sets up into a four with a one extra dropping in. Um, and, you know, just befuddled the U.S. I thought, you know, Tyler Adams at times, he's done, he's done a fantastic job at the group stages. I, I've said he's, you know, a number six that does the work of two. And today he couldn't handle it. It was too much for him. And, and an extra body in midfield and, you know, we, we talked about everybody who's been talking about Gio Reyna not being included. That's going to be a lingering question. Why wasn't he included and used more? Because he certainly showed the craft. He showed that guile, that wherewithal that 
break lines and, and, and beat his defenders 1v1. Um, some people are going to take issue with, with the substitution there of Timothy Weah coming off um, as well. Some of the substitute patterns throughout this uh, World Cup are going to come into question for Greg Berhalter. I was uh, not happy with Weah coming off. I understand the inclusion of Aronson and, you know, tip of the hat, getting right on and he gets the goal, um, no matter how much he might have known about it or didn't. <laughs> um but, you know, there's uh, the tip of the hat to, to Louis van Gaal. He's been here. His Dutch team looks good. I don't think they look like world beaters, but I expected them to beat the U.S. I, um, I thought the scoreline was going to be a, roughly a two-to-one margin. But, yeah, the Dutch manager showing off his pedigree experience, uh, never looked befuddled. The game was always in front uh, of the Dutch. We never got in behind, never played in direct fashion. And it wasn't. I don't believe it was enough of a challenge to the Dutch. No, I agree with you there. Um, I mean, Cardiff, let's be honest. I mean, if Christian Pulisic, I, I don't know if you can say he could take it any better than he had in the opening moments of this match. I mean, you know, just to stay on side was unbelievable, uh, Cardiff. Just for him to stay on side and Blinn keeping him on side on, on that moment where I thought, oh my God, here we go. And, you know, big save, obviously. But do you think... Pulisic should have taken that a little bit better, maybe take a little bit more of a of a first touch, then shoot it. Or do you think, uh, look, he, he just, just just get it on frame as fast as possible, not complaining about that moment with Pulisic, but you know, in hindsight, was it the correct moment to take it one, one time, as we're seeing it right now here on Fox and that replay of that uh, opening chance? Um, do you think he should have taken it one time the way he did, or should have taken a touch and then rip it? I think the temptation is to take a touch and then the chance is gone. So I, I think he probably made the right decision, uh, maybe, and hit it cleanly. It was just very well saved. I, I do have to uh, agree with what Christian said about uh, Timmy Weah coming off. I, I thought, uh, since you mentioned pulistic, if you need to, if, at that point you're, you're out of a, a, a attackers, right? So you have to take someone off. Uh, or to put another attacker on, to put Aronson on. I think maybe Pulisic was the guy who should have come off, believe it or not, because as efficient as he was going forward, his decision-making in the final third today I thought was pretty poor. Not on that chance. That's the one he'll be criticized for. But I, I, I think he was playing balls uh, a second late, uh, maybe, maybe uh, picking the wrong, wrong runner uh, in the final third. And his set-piece distribution has been sort of iffy the entire uh, tournament. Although I guess oh. uh, ultimately the goal did come off of a cross from Pulisic, so maybe you needed him out there for that. Um, mm. So, but um, I, I, I don't criticize him for that. I think he he he, he hit that first time. If you settle, uh, he, the defender probably gets a step on you, and you, the chance might be gone. So I, I think he did what he needed to do. I think he hit it cleanly. It's just uh, unfortunately the keeper made a great save. Yep. Uh, I mean, I agree with you there, Cardiff. Just, just great save there by the goalkeeper, um, Christian. I, I, I now, now this question comes to you, and I'll just go on and say it right now. Because of some of the issues that Pulisic had in this World Cup, outside of the goal he scored against against Iran, and let me just say. leaves Chelsea and goes somewhere else in the transfer window that will be coming up in the, uh, uh, in the winter window, whenever it does come in Europe, since now that we, you know, that we've had this world cup now about to finish up uh, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of like in a week or two now, do you think he remains at Chelsea or do you think he'd go somewhere else in the premier league or he just, or he just transfers somewhere else to get uh, the proper minutes he needs? Because do you think him not getting his minutes at Chelsea has led to some of the poor play that we've seen from him in this World Cup? Well, on the balance, guys, I, I think, you know, it was a good World Cup for Christian Pulisic. Uh, in regards to his take in the first half, I, and wholeheartedly in concurrence with Cardiac and yourself about taking that first time, I don't think he made the contact necessary because, you know, he passed it to the keeper and wasn't, you know, didn't, didn't put his foot through the ball and, and not enough power to trouble him. Um, you know, we could, we could sit there and, and dissect this one, but yeah, I don't think it was the best of takes from Pulisic. I thought he really should have scored it in my opinion. 
Um, in regards to Pulisic, you know, all credit. He, he gives you everything that he's got, and he wants, he loves to play for his country. That's evident. Um, and I don't really don't think, he, you know, his club form factored too much in to the way he played. Um, yeah, I think that Christian Pulisic actually found his, his natural position playing for this U.S. team. He likes to drop in centrally and get on the ball and, and create a little bit more than we see perhaps in his varying roles, whether it be, you know, left wing back or playing wide on the left-hand side for Chelsea. I would like to see him move on from Chelsea and, and start with some, you know, fresh outlook somewhere else and get a chance to really get consistent first-team football um, under his belt. Perhaps that's what's on the cards here under the new management system uh, with Graham Potter. Who knows? Um, I was not impressed with Christian Pulisic's dead ball delivery uh, throughout this tournament. I thought, but I thought you really want to point fingers at the glaring divisions of the U.S. Absolutely inept from set piece situations. This both defensively as well as offensively. Why Lars Knudsen, who is the Danish youth team coach, was brought in as a revolutionary. Um, you know, manager of dead ball situations and, and specifically brought in for that. I thought it was an absolute failure, um, just not good enough because especially when you look at the history of this United States program, we predicated so much of our success, you know, early in the 2000s, even going back to the, the Winalda Harks lawless days on dead ball situations and the, the U.S. offered absolutely nothing in that department. Um, spare the blushes by a Virgil van Dyke error on an attacking set piece for the Dutch in the second half. Um, so that was one of the, the, the issues that I would take, you know, onage with or take umbrage with. Um, but for Pulisic, yeah, I don't really don't think there's any – he left it all out there. I think Christian Pulisic, you know, it, he, he got that goal. He, such a brave finish that, you know, he put in and he played a huge part in this U.S. success. So hopefully um, I'd like to see him move. Uh, and I think for me, and I've always had this is, is a sidebar here, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, the way Christian Pulisic plays football, for me, he's a player I almost want to say is better suited for La Liga, the Spanish type of setup where he, you know, he likes the ball at his feet. He's technical, likes to run at players. He's, not, he's, he's, he's a half winger almost. He's not that guy that's going to get you to the end line and whip those crosses in. Uh, he's a guy that's going to, you know, make those inverted runs from the outside in and, you know, try and unhinge defenders and penetrate straight through the, the heart of opposing defenders. So um, we'll see what's in store for Christian. Well, I can say this. I mean, if, you know, I don't know if Barcelona or Real Madrid would ever, you know, bring him over. I mean, I would maybe say a Valencia or a, maybe a, Atletico Madrid that wants to bring him over in there. I mean, you know, good luck. I mean, I agree with you. I think he would suit La Liga very well with his type of play. Uh, it all depends on what La Liga side or, or, or what Spanish side would want to give him an opportunity. And, you know, if they give him a chance, yeah, why not? I mean, Carter, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but definitely, I mean, if a Real Madrid or a Barcelona wants to give him a chance, go for it. If not, you know, a Villarreal or uh, a Valencia or, you know, an Espanol. I mean, maybe he's more suited for one of those clubs. But what do you say about that, Cardick? Yeah, I, I think certainly uh, La Liga would suit him better. I completely agree with Christian uh, on that. He is not, he's not a wide player. He's also got, I, I think, a problem playing centrally in the Premier League, right? We've seen that, which is why uh, Tuchel and, and now Potter have tried various uh, places to play him. And, and uh, ironically, I think we're seeing the same problem with Hakeem Ziyech at uh, Chelsea, who is also having just a killer World Cup so far for, for Morocco. So two guys at Chelsea have had trouble kind of integrating consistently into their team. Uh, also, Stanford Bridge is a very narrow pitch. That, that kind of, uh, even by English standards, that kind of factors into all of this. Um, the one concern I have about him going to La Liga is please, no Atletico with Cholo Simeone still there. Because I, I think uh, we have seen attacking player after attacking player struggle uh, at Atleti unless they're a certain type of attacker, which is not Pulisic, right? You know, it, 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 Pulisic is, is, uh, is really good with the ball at his feet, uh, half turns, those sorts of things. Um, doesn't hug the touch line, but also isn't really a central midfielder either or a central attacking player. So, um I think La Liga, I, that's a great shout by Christian. I would just, that's the one club I would avoid is Atleti as long as Simeone is there. No, I agree with you there. I think that's the, probably the 
one Achilles heel for Christian and for any attacking player that goes and plays under Simeone over Atletico Madrid. But he has <laughs> won them a, a La Liga championship, and they're always uh, in the mix uh, ever since he's been over there for the Champions League. So we'll see what happens going down the road. Um, Weston McKenney, obviously... Mm-hmm. Christian, due to injury, I don't think he's been himself that much. I mean, he did decently with the ball. I thought he attacked well um, at times. Obviously, set pieces, as you said, were the big failure here for the U.S. And we didn't see enough of McKenney to really impose himself because, you know, we, we could always remember him with that big 2-2 goal in the Nations League final against Mexico where he was always positioning himself uh, to be in the mix to head that ball on frame. Uh, I I just think his injury, I don't know if he was maybe 75%, 80% healthy. That's how it looked to me. But, you know, just not enough McKinney in this one on set pieces in my book. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think the the whole midfield looked rather tired. They look outmanned. Uh, Disappointed with Yunus Musa, I thought, but was the player that should have come off for uh, Brendan Aronson. Uh, in the second half, uh, I thought that would have been the injection because I really don't think he, you know, n- the MMA midfield, how, as brilliant as it's been, and let's give them credit through through large stages, through large stretches of this group phase, just wasn't there today, wasn't there at the beginning. Uh, you know, the game was behind them, chasing, facing their own goal, overrun, passed right through like Swiss cheese. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, in terms of fitness, it's obvious that Weston McKinney's not fully fit and he's operating somewhere. You know, if you want to put a number on it around 75, you know, difficulty finding the game kind of is faded out of the picture, I thought, in, in large degrees in second halves of this World Cup. And it would have been nice to have, you know, our, our best box-to-boxer, uh, you know, in there uh, along with Musa at, at full fitness. But, uh, yeah, McKinney is, you know, one of those players. That injuries are, you know, fitness is a concern with Aaron McKinney. And it's like Pulisic, you know. We've have had a history of it in that midfield. You could even throw Tyler Adams into that. So it's something, you know, is going to have to be addressed here. You're going to need a little bit more depth, and um, because there is a drop off, I believe, when you get out, you know, you look to the bench and you go to the midfield and try and shore things up. Um, with the, you know, asterisk to that being Gio Reyna, who has an injection of quality, but there is a drop off, I believe, there, and uh, it, it showed, and it also showed in the second half. You know, I don't think we we saw in in, in moments. In fits and starts, the best of Aaron McKinney, but we also saw what he was lacking as well. And I think that's the one issue I, I, I think we have with McKinney. Not saying he played poorly, just maybe just not fully fit was his issue in this particular World Cup. Um, you know, as we continue on here, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show on our World Cup post game as the United States once again falls in the round of 16 to the Netherlands by a final of three goals to one. Um, you know, Carter, Haji Wright to me was the, you know, the, maybe more of the questionable decisions or the more um, surprising decisions in the striker department, not bringing over PFOC, maybe not even bringing over, you know, Pepe. Uh, to be in this World Cup roster, even though he did get a great goal, uh, a little bit of luck, obviously, and you need a little luck in this game if you're going to convert those chances. And he pulled one back on that uh, strange back heel flick, kind of like a prayer. But, you know, congratulations to him getting his first World Cup goal in his career. Um, you know, do you think he's done enough? He did enough in this World Cup when his number was called upon? Or do you think maybe not enough? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm partial to him because uh, let me just give a backstory here. Uh, obviously, I, I worked in NASL, and um, I also worked for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, who were an NASL club. I was right with an NASL. I make a trip uh, to Gelsenkirchen or make a trip to Germany in general in, in late 2015. Uh, but when I was in Gelsenkirchen and spent the day around Schalke, I was being asked questions about that specific player, about him. Uh, and then several months later, they signed him. So um, I, I feel like I, that is one of the few players that has happened with, with me uh, as someone who's worked in the game or been a journalist where uh, I, I've been involved in a, in a player uh, being transferred or, or being uh, assigned by a European club. So I do have that backstory with him and, and, and a certain partiality to him. But I think um, his counter-pressing was pretty active in the England game when he got to start in that match. And, and it, 
Uh, clearly, that was a different tactical wrinkle from uh, from Burhalter that day, and I think uh, Haji Rice Rice passed that test, uh, but was very poor when he came on against uh, against Iran. Uh, in fact, also made a, a not only was he poor when he came on against Iran, made a terrible decision that almost cost the United States this entire World Cup, which was not to go to the corner late in the match. And that's uh, really something that's not forgivable. And then today, um, I'm with Christian. I, I don't bring him on for, uh, for, for, for uh, a way in that situation. And also, um, in terms of PFOC, uh, PFOC had started really well with Union Berlin earlier this season, not, not only scoring goals, but being part of their interplay and their build-up play. Uh, aside of him, I had not really seen before when he played in Switzerland and when he played in France. Uh, but for whatever reason, Greg Verhalter had his ma- mind made up about PFOC. I don't know if there was some problem when he's come in in the past uh, in the camps. Uh, maybe he uh, doesn't fit with the other guys. So it probably came down to a decision between Wright and Ricardo Pepe and you could argue that um, they're different styled strikers, and the decision may have been made uh, for Wright based on uh, the idea that you would sub them in in late-game situations for Josh Sargent. Uh, today, you didn't have Sargent, so you had a more critical need. Uh, but um, I, I think he's going to be in this player pool, but it, he's certainly not the clear-cut number nine, uh, the backup as a number nine to Josh Sargent going forward. I think uh, the guys we talked about, Ferreira, uh, uh, P-Folk, uh, Pepe, and some others potentially are still in that mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, uh, we'll see what happens moving forward, obviously, and we get into 2023, obviously, gentlemen. But, you know, Christian, if I can also ask you this, um, uh, you know, look, we we can always say the tactics were wrong here in this one that there should have been uh, a much better idea or ideas from Burhalter to get this situation done the correct way. But unfortunately, it just falls apart at the wrong time. Um, do, do you feel that, you know, we had the right players out there to begin this game? Or do you just feel that just just the, the, the level of the Dutch is obviously higher than what we saw uh, today instead of those three group stage games. Yeah, your latter point kind of resonates. I mean, let's be honest and tip our hat to the Dutch. I mean, they're a better team than we are, you know, man for man. And in terms of the individual and and the collective, this is just flat out a better team. And, and, you know, and the results showed, I thought, in terms of selection of personnel, with the exception of perhaps Trineva, you know, uh, I applaud Greg Berhalter for his choices. Um, his substitution pattern is another <laughs> topic for discussion, as we've talked about here. But, yeah, in terms of the way they've set up in selection of personnel, I thought Greg uh, Berhalter really got it spot on. But it, you look at the Steelers team, he doesn't have much to work with in that regard here. And Kartik, you know, pontificated very well about Haji Wright. And, and, you know, the deficiencies of Jesus Torreira are very, very evident and, and unfortunate for Josh Sargent, who I Sergeant, who I thought had you know, some really good moments and you know and spotlighted with his ability to drop in and provide that hold-up play, well-timed runs. It's nice to see his game coming along and getting more and more refined as time goes forward. But you know, I don't have any issue with the way that it, the team selection. Um, the one thing that was a little bit of a head scratcher for me heading into the final group stage game against Iran was the selection of Cameron Carter-Vickers over uh, Walker Zimmerman. In the end, it proved to be a moot point as most of the game was played in the Iran half with the exception of in the last half an hour, 15 minutes, when the USA decided to park the bus and bring on Zimmerman and drop into a five-back. But um, and interesting to see Zimmerman selected over Cameron Carter-Victors for this one as one of two changes from the Iran game. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, mm-hmm. Berhalter, in terms of team selection, it, it, the team almost picks itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, so now, let's do this. Um, now that this World Cup is officially over for the U.S. as a whole, my question to all of you is this, and we'll go to Carter first, and then we go to Christian. My question would be this: Do you think you would com- who would you compare Burhalter's World Cup with the past managers that we've seen run this national team from 
Bora in 94, Steve Sampson in 98, Bruce Arena, who had two runs of it uh, in 90, in 2002 and 2006, uh, Klinsman, Bob Bradley. As a positive or a negative, depending on how you think about it, who would you compare, what would you compare, or who would you compare Greg Berhalter to with this World Cup? We'll go to Cardick uh, first, and then Christian second. Oh, I, I look directly at 2010 and Bob Bradley because um, the Charlie Davies uh, injury, car accident, car accident uh, created a situation where we had a similar problem at, uh, with a number nine, uh, and it, it, it fundamentally uh, changed the way we played. There was also uh, lingering injuries to Sue Holden, uh, which could be equated to the McKinney situation, and, uh, and Gooch uh, coming into that World Cup that I think uh, put us in a position where we had to play a little differently than we maybe wanted to or that, that Bob wanted us to. Uh, but we got through that group, actually had England in that group also and through England, so maybe, maybe that's another similarity. And then we get to the round of 16, and I feel like against Ghana, it was a similar situation where um, we were on the front foot for much of that match, but in the vital moments, the moments that mattered the most, uh, Ghana had that little bit of quality, even though that was a Ghana team without Michael Essien, right? He was injured. So that was a, a huge opportunity, if you think of it that way. Uh, at that time, one of the top midfielders in the world being out. Uh, but um, similar, I, I felt after that World Cup, I felt good about where we were as a program. Uh, and mm. uh, apparently Sunil Gulati didn't feel good about where we were as a program because he was uh, – um, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but I think he was trying to undermine – uh, Bob even at that moment, and then uh, a year later made the change to Klinsman and, and things went in a different direction. But um, I, I felt good about where we stood after the 2010 World Cup and where we were, we were headed. I did not feel that way after 2006, which was devastating, um, it, honestly, the way that World Cup un- unfolded for Bruce Arena. And I definitely did not feel that way under tw- in 2014 and, and, and accurately predicted that there was going to be problems in the next four years. I didn't think we wouldn't qualify for the next World Cup, but I could see uh, the writing on the wall. So 2010, I think it's the closest comparison. Now the question is, does this end up like 2010, where the manager gets scapegoated for um, performances, which, uh, although, again, uh, Bob lasted another year and then lost the Gold Cup final. That was when uh, he was removed. Are we in this situation where the Federation is looking around for another manager, or are we going to consolidate behind the direction we're going. I don't have an opinion on that because I don't feel as strongly about Greg Verhalter uh, positively or negatively as I did about um, Bob Bradley positively or Jurgen Klinsmann negatively. So uh, I don't have an opinion on that, but I would say 2010 is, is probably the closest comparison in my opinion. Daniel, I'd have to agree with with Hartig because there was a, there was an optimism at the end of the 2010 World Cup, and I, you know, the hiring of Klinsman I thought was massively unfair to Bob Bradley, who I thought was kind of a victim of the predilections of Sunil Gulati. And then we saw what happened with Klinsman and, and how we were absolutely shelled, you know, by Belgium in that round of 16 in Brazil in 2014 when Tim Howard was stood on his head and was Superman. And I think the reflection and the parallels with this current crop and the U.S. Madden's national team is is the same feeling of optimism because, yes, we did go out today and we went out, and there's no shame to losing to the better team. The U.S., I think, can hold their head about, but it's, there's an air of optimism because, one, you know, we haven't achieved as a collective what Bruce Arena achieved back in, in you know, 2002 when they went on a historic run um, and even got the only team to take a point off of Italy in that, you know, rather dour 2006 campaign in Germany um, which I got to see firsthand and, and, and see the U.S. You know, take a brave point off the eventual world champions. But there is an air of optimism because you feel that there is another gear to hit for this U.S. men's national team program. And, and so in, in terms of stylistic, you know, I, I see Berhalter more of a, a closer in resemblance to, to Jurgen Klinsmann and the way he approaches football um, from a style and in tactical, you know, philosophical standpoint than the likes of any previous U.S. manager. Um, I still think that, you know, there's a lack of refinement in terms of the management and there's a naivete that is kind of, you know, symbiotic with the, the youthful approach and, and the young U.S. men's national team player pool. Um, but, yeah, there, there is an area of optimism because this team is 
it, this is a generation that's built for the next World Cup, and that's where they'll be at the peak of their powers, you know. And you could even go beyond that to 2030 if you wanted to look that far ahead. Um, so, yeah, there is optimism. I, I don't have any, you know, sharp negative criticisms of, of Greg Berhalter. Yes, he he did make some errors, but, he you know, let's credit him. He went with a Tim Ream uh, when no one wanted Tim Ream. And, you know, if you look on the balance, Tim Ream was, you know, one of our top two or three players in this World Cup. He went with, you know, Matt Turner and made that bold decision. Uh, to leave out Zach Steffen. So, you know, there, there's a lot that he got right, but there, you know, there, there are some things that he got wrong as well. So now the question is this, gentlemen. Does Greg Berhalter stay or does he go? Do you think he, uh, he stays as uh, the men's head coach for the next World Cup cycle? Does he decide to leave on his own, or do you think U.S. Soccer says thank you, but we're going to bring in somebody else, uh, Cardick and then Christian? Yeah, again, I go back to the experience in 2010. I'm sorry that both Christian and I see that as a reference point, but it is one. I I knew within days of the Ghana loss that Tadil Gawadi was was talking to people trying to undermine Bob Bradley, who I thought had, had built a program uh, which had been in shambles when he inherited it in early 2007 and, and had us in the right, uh, headed in the right direction and had the right philosophy of how we needed to play and how we needed to use our personnel. I don't feel as strongly in favor of Burhalter as I did about Bradley at that moment and was devastated when he was sacked and Klinsman came in and I think really um, messed a little bit with our, our psyche. Um, but I think given that experience of how replacing Bradley with Klinsman a year later, I think derailed us and, and, and created the chain of events uh, that led us to missing a World Cup in 2018. I, uh, I would err on the side of caution and retaining Verhalter at least through uh, next summer's Gold Cup, uh, maybe uh, into qualifying. Oh, actually, we, don't, we won't have to qualify because we're hosting. But uh, I, I would err on the side of caution, and I would retain him. Uh, he's not my cup of tea, Daniel. You and I have uh, really criticized the hiring process by which uh, we settled on him. We've criticized a lot of his in-match management decisions, but I still think the program is headed in the right direction, and we're at a fragile point, and we're hosting the next World Cup. You you make a mistake here, and everything could blow up. Uh, Guys, I I echo a lot of the sentiment of of Kartik in that regard. I think that if we want to hit an extra gear, um, because it's going to be a, a different type of challenge because there won't be the qualification and it's going to be much simpler to get into the next World Cup with the expanded format. And that presents a little bit of a different animal. And, and to be honest, there's, you know, makes things a lot easier for the United States. Um, will that have an effect on their performances of the World Cup final coming up in three and a half years? Well, that remains to be seen. I don't think it really sets the USA up to be at its sharpest or at its best. I'd like to see it go through, you know, the present World Cup qualification system, but that's not going to happen. Um, but the U.S., you know, they have taken strides. The program has taken strides in the development of these young players. And then the player side has been on. I mean, I think that the rate of growth and the development of these players has been exponential. And it's nice to see MLS play a role in that and, and decide to use it more of a, of a Dutch model. Let's develop these young kids and sell them off and let them refine their games. And, you know, it's shown where all of our players are, you know, uh, European-based in, in the starting 11 today. But um, I still believe that there is, there's a higher gear to hit, especially with this current crop of generations. And if you're going to take that next level, you, you know, I'm not calling for the sacking of Greg Berhalter, but I think it's a decision that needs to be openly, you know, contemplated and, you know, sit down and have a cup of coffee with the few managers out there that might be interested in the job. Um, please don't ask me <laughs> who you'd want him to, you want to step into this job because we all know that, there's differing complexities with the U.S. men's national team head coach job than there is with managing another country, you know, especially in, in comparison to European teams. So, yeah, I think they're, it's open to debate. Yep, it really, really is. And listen, I think what we can say now is the future of the player pool for the U.S. men's national team, as bigger and brighter as we've ever seen it. We have an under-17 CONCACAF tournament that's going to be underway soon next year in February uh, for the boys to try and qualify for the under-17 World Cup. We have an under-20 World Cup next summer, and then the following summer in 2024, the boys are back in the Olympics, 
And then, of course, the two Gold Cups, we have this Nations League finishing up. And obviously, that's not really a big deal. But, you know, for some, it will be. And uh, hosting the 2026 World Cup with our friends and neighbors in Canada and Mexico. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. And, uh, look, I, I think that the program itself now is in better shape. It all depends on the direction of where it goes by uh, the manager, whether it is Berhalter or not. So we'll have to see what happens there. But other than that, gentlemen, uh, unfortunately, this World Cup comes to an end in the round of 16. But I always am appreciative of uh, your knowledge and your ability to discuss the USA in on this show. Thank you once again, and hopefully have you back on again soon uh, before this year ends or starting of next year. So once again, Kardec Kirschneier, Christian Miles, thank you again for joining me for this World Cup uh, postgame shows. And talk to you in the new year. Thank you. And, and just a, an extra remark, Kartik, pleasure to be with you. And Daniel, thank you for the opportunity. And really, I think you do a phenomenal job. So keep up the great work. And thanks for having me. Yeah, let me echo that right. as well. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And I appreciate you guys as well and all the hard work you've done uh, to cover this game here in the, in the United States. I appreciate you all the time. Uh, but once again, ladies and gentlemen, the United States, they fall to the Netherlands by final three goals to one in the round of 16. They are no longer in the World Cup, and they're going to now be preparing themselves to be the host nation or one of three hosts for the 2026 World Cup uh, in about three and a half, three, four years' time. Uh, once again, for Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk and, of course, from Christian Miles, former Fox Soccer Channel presenter and play-by-play host, this is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me next time before the season ends, before this year ends here on the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you once again. Have a good afternoon. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football.